have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. This is what we do at Woodland Hills Church. We just believe in worshiping God passionately and then proclaiming truth passionately. And what we're doing is just going through the Bible verse by verse. Uh, is to see what it has for us. And so we're right now hovering on three verses. Uh, we'll probably hover here for a little bit longer. We're talking about a woman named Anna. And Anna, we saw last week. I'm really coming to think as I'm kind of hovering on these verses that Anna sort of is a microcosm of what the body of Christ is to be. Uh, she just sort of incarnates and exemplifies at least some very important foundational things about the body of Christ. We saw last week that uh, we paid attention to the fact that Anna was a woman. And uh, that's interesting because she's called a prophetess. To be a prophet meant that you speak with the authority and under the inspiration of God to whoever's listening. And though we looked at this, uh, this uh, pattern of examples we find in scripture, uh, in scripture of God using women to be evangelists and God using women to be teachers and God using women to be leaders, even national leaders, as in the case of Deborah, and God using women to be prophets. And what we saw there was, was this, that while there are times, in particular cultural settings, uh, where it, because of patriarchal sexist presuppositions in the culture, it's not advantageous for the gospel to have women in top levels of leadership. They're just not going to have credibility in that culture. While that is sometimes true, as it was in the case of uh, 1 Timothy, uh, which is located in Ephesus, God's heart, we saw last week, is to have people living out their calling and giftedness, regardless of what gender they are, or any other kind of restriction or boundaries or barriers or walls that culture puts on people. And so in Christ, the, the principle that we're to be moving towards is that in Christ there's neither male nor female, neither, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor, sleeve, uh, bond nor, sleeve, bond nor free. Uh, uh, that in Christ, the only thing that matters is what are you gifted at and what has God called you to? And uh, so to live out those kind of principles. Now this week we're going to focus on another aspect of Anna. Coming out of Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 36 through 39, uh, reading from the TNIV version. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84, which is apparently when this passage is taking place. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day. She worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. That's what this woman had done for 60 plus years. Coming up to them, Referring to Joseph and Mary, because they're in the temple now, dedicating their child to the Lord. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and then spoke about the child, prophetically, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And she's still doing that uh, to this day. I want us to focus on just this idea of Anna being one whose life was characterized by worship. She worshiped the Lord night and day. Here at the stage where they're inaugurating the kingdom, the kingdom is starting to come into being, we're giving examples of what this kingdom is going to look like, and Anna was a worshiper. And we are to be, in that sense, an Anna church, a worshiping church. Nothing is going to be more fundamental than what I'm going to be saying here in the next 20, 25 minutes. So let's cover it with prayer. Would you stand up? And uh, what I want to do is, uh, uh, you know, we're kingdom people. We have authority to change the world through the power of prayer. And there is a special dimension to that authority in prayer as there is in worship when we come together. There's a power in unity and a power in numbers and a power in agreement. So, so we're going to do kind of a liturgy here. We always do different things. Uh, this is a liturgy Woodland Hill style. 
Will you just agree with me as I lead us in prayer, but, but repeat it. Uh, uh, verbalize what I say. Uh, say it from your heart. Say it with enthusiasm. Say it with passion. And let's use the authority we have right now to change the world and to ask God to be part of this message in Jesus' name. Say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father we, thank you we thank you that you've called us to be your children. We thank you that you've empowered us to change the world. And so we ask you, Heavenly Father, on behalf of the person on our right, we ask that you bless them. Open their minds. Open their hearts to receive your word right here and right now. And we pray on behalf of the person on our left. We pray you'd bless them in every way. And Holy Spirit, open up their minds and open up their heart to receive your word. We call on you, Lord, to fall on us in the full power of your spirit. Send forth your power. Send forth your deliverance. Send forth your freedom. Send forth your word and bring your kingdom in this place right here and right now in Jesus name amen amen praise God amen yes praise God you can have a seat you may not see it you may not know it there may not be any immediate evidence of it but we just changed the world and blessed the person on our right and the person on our left and they're different because of it. Prayer has that kind of power. Amen. And we got to be using that. Okay, I'm going to be speaking about worship. I want to back into the message a little bit this way. Um, tell you about something that happened to me. Uh, probably it was about 10 years ago now. I had an acquaintance. Real nice guy. Uh, I liked him a lot. And this acquaintance was a collector of art, of a particular kind of art. He collected uh, what's sometimes called modern art or um, abstract art uh, and really got into that. Now, I, I like art a lot. I, I love art, and I, I, I'm very broad-minded. Uh, I, I try to appreciate everything. Uh, but I just couldn't get into this guy's art. You know, I'm talking about the kind of art, you know, uh, Mondrian was one of the artists, and there's just like cubes on a thing and a line here, and it's, it's just different. I just don't get it. I, I just don't get it. Some of this art is very expensive, uh, you know, $25,000 for a piece, $100,000 for a piece. Well, at one point, this man who's rather wealthy made a substantial donation of, from his art collection to an art gallery. And uh, they had a big kind of festivity for, you know, the art culture, art crowd in, in the Twin Cities to come and celebrate this donation to this art gallery. And he asked if I would, you know, come and just sort of, you know, be a part of this. And so my wife and I agreed, and so we show up at this art gallery uh, to, to view his art exhibition. We're walking around the room and looking at the different pieces of art, and uh, I don't recall if the price tag was on him or if he had just told me what some of these pieces were worth, but uh, walking around and looking at a piece that was worth $25,000 and another one that was worth $100,000 or whatever, and I was just telling my wife, and she was agreeing with me, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, I, I, you know, and I'm, I'm willing to assume it's all me and not the art, but I don't get it. Like, there's this one piece that was, it was an all-black canvas with a real thin red line through the center. And um, 
I, I was like, oh, you know, I wish someone would pay me $25,000 to do that. Now, I, I'm talking completely out of my ignorance here, uh, but I, I just don't get it. And we're walking around looking at different pieces and kind of, and we're being very polite, you know, because we don't want to spoil the party, but I, I'm just not getting it. And I'm talking to my wife about this. I overheard a conversation, which will become important a little bit later on. Uh, uh, some people were talking about a particular work. And so I just was stopping to hear what these artistic folks were saying about a piece to help me get it. And I just kind of listened in, you know, a little bit. Now, a little bit later on, and this is kind of a wine and cheese party with these folks, you know, who are in the art culture. Uh, we gather around in a circle, and the guy who donated the uh, art is in the middle of the room, kind of gives a little history about some of the pieces of art. And then, I kid you not, he says, I, I want to announce that, uh, you know, we, we have a theologian here tonight. And um, a friend of mine, uh, Greg Boyd. And, uh, and he's, he's come to kind of appreciate some of this art. And, I, you know, I just would like to see, Greg, would you kind of give us a theological perspective on some of the art in this room? My heart starts going. And I was like, oh, oh thank you. so." No, I really couldn't. No, I, I'm a shy guy. Really, please, no. And he's like, Greg, come on, just share, a, you know, just a couple pieces, whatever, whatever is on your heart. And then the other people in the room start saying, yeah, come on, just, you know, share this perspective. And they virtually force me into the center of this room with all these art experts around. And now I'm supposed to talk about this art. My poor wife's sitting there, her eyes are bugging out like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I've seen my husband's in awkward places before, but this kind of takes the cake. So I'm in the center of this room, and it's like, it's all on me right now, and so I turned to the piece of art that I heard some people talking about. And they think I'm meditating, but I'm, I'm scrambling to, to remember, what did these people say? <laughs> I was like, and, and so I look at this piece of art and uh, uh, just you know, like scrambling, like I gotta say something, this uh, silence is so awkward. So finally I go, the red, the red, the red, it's very red. And, uh, <laughs> It, it, it just kind of reminds, it, it, it kind of calls out like blood, and, and there's, a, there's, there's the black stroke around it or, or through it. it. It just kind of connotes violence. I remember these people talking along those lines. Uh, violence uh, and, and blood, uh, and blood and, and violence. Uh, <laughs> lots of blood and violence. Yeah, I've seen it. Now, so I'm just like shooting from the cuff, if ever I've shot from the cuff, and I do that quite a bit, by the way, but I'm looking at this, and... Uh, as I'm looking at this and just trying to scramble to say something that doesn't sound absolutely brain damaged, I like come up with something coherent here. I noticed something in the, in the piece that I hadn't noticed before. If you look at it, you know, with, with the kind of intensity that I had that minute, <laughs> I saw like a, a, a cross. I made out a cross in the background. And it wasn't, you know, a, it, was, it expressed the cross. It wasn't like a photograph. And that's why you could easily miss it. And, and so I just, as I'm talking here, stream of consciousness, and I say, now if you look at it, I'm seeing a cross. I go into the present tense. I'm, I'm seeing a cross. You know, and, and you only see that if you kind of look at it from the angle. You have to kind of look up from the, the violence there. And so it seems like the author is, and, and because it's so, the way it's done, it doesn't communicate the cross on a cerebral level. It communicates it on a visceral level. It kind of more hits you. And uh, there is this, uh, so he's weaving in the cross theme with this violence, this, 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 this very harsh kind of a thing. And, that, and then I notice something else as I'm talking here. And notice the hue around the, the parameter of this piece. Um, it, 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 there's a soft violet, which just speaks such peace, and it's, it's really got a beauty to it. 
And yet it clashes so strongly with the, 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 the violence and, and, and the cross. But it's as though that's the background against which this violent thing on the cross happened. And the, the author is saying, or kind of communicating to me anyways, that, that the, the violence doesn't have the last word, but rather there is in the background this beauty that encompasses the violence and, and is, is, uh, the, that so it can bring good out of the evil. It's like, like, like evil doesn't have, and violence doesn't have the last word. But there's this beautiful violet that has the last word. And, and, and the, the symbiosis of the coagulation of the, the, the images just speaks in this contrast way that... And I really, as I'm talking there, what began as just uh, malarkey. Uh, there's other words that people use. But as just kind of just... I, I'm just making... As I'm talking about it, I begin to see something that was very significant that I hadn't seen before. I was a little bit. It wasn't like I was... You know, crying and getting moved, but I was seeing something profound in this piece uh, that I hadn't seen before. And uh, I hadn't thought about this episode for years until yesterday morning. And here's what happened. I was going to be speaking on worship here this morning. And um, I prepared my message on worship, and it's always one of my favorite topics because I believe that worship is the foundation of everything. It's our lifeline. It's, it's, it's just the essence of the kingdom. It's what we'll be doing throughout eternity. But see, because it's so important, we at least twice a year have a thing where we give a message on worship and then go into worship to kind of remind ourselves what we're doing. And the problem I was having this week is that uh, I feel like everything I've got to say I've said a number of times. And I'm not against repetition uh, because repetition is the key to learning. But I just couldn't get any fuel for it. It's like I, I, I felt like I've done this too many times and something else was supposed to happen. So on Saturday morning, I had a time when I usually put on the finishing touches of my message. I was there before God saying, what do you want me to say? I just don't, I'm not feeling the fire like I should. I, I, I've got good content, but I feel like it's just kind of, you know, rehashed stuff. I, I, Lord, do you have something else that I'm supposed to say? And I got a worship tape going on, and I'm just kind of waiting on God, saying, God, give me something. I'm, I'm here before you. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? And then I got, uh, after 10, 15, 20 minutes of this, and just like that, I got a picture. Uh, and a coin dropped in the slot for me, and, and I knew exactly what I was supposed to say. I got a picture, a vision, if you will. It lasted for maybe 20 seconds, 15 to 30 seconds, something like that. But it takes about five minutes to describe. But it really communicated, communicates, at least it communicates to me. Here's what I saw. I saw another art gallery, but it wasn't an ordinary art gallery. It was an art gallery that was, had a long hall. There was this long hall. It reminded me of the hall that... Uh, Dorothy and the straw man and the witch or, and the lion and the tin man go through when they go into, go into Oz. It's like this long corridor. And, the, and I see these people coming into this corridor. And there's one painting in this gallery. It's at the edge of the corridor, way down there. And so they're walking to the corridor. Now this crowd that I saw was a very unusual crowd. Um, most of them, in fact all except for one of them, were glowing. There, there was a radiance there. But they had different levels of radiance. Some were really bright. And others were just kind of glowing a little bit. Um, and the ones that were really glowing bright seemed to have a peace and a joy and a freedom to them. Uh, the ones that were less bright had joy and freedom and peace, but not quite as much. Uh, and they all walked up to this one painting. The person at the front, there's one person at the front, however, who didn't have any glory or any radiance, any shining at all. He was entirely in black and white. It reminded me of that uh, movie, which the message of which I think is demonic, but uh, the, the movie Pleasantville, where you've got people who are in color and people who are in black and white. And this person was in black and white. Everyone else had some degree of, of, of radiance and color, but he was in black and white. 
Now here's what happened. They come up, and I don't see the picture, but I see them looking at the picture. And again, this all happened in 15, 20 seconds, but, but uh, it, it really had an impact. And the people begin to look. I know from looking at the scene that, that they're looking at the epitome of all beauty and all loveliness, and it, it's a spectacular picture. And they begin to say that. Oh, it's marvelous. It's glorious. It's splendid. It's breathtaking. It's awesome. And, and they just begin to say this. And it kind of almost, some begin to almost sing it and chant it. And as they're saying, it's marvelous. And you can see them beginning to be moved. As they say this, they become more bright. And then I see light coming out of this picture. I know it's a bizarre vision, but, but this is what I saw. And, and, and so there's this vision, this light coming out of the picture. And the more they say it, I can tell. The more they say it, the more they see the beauty. And the more they see the beauty, the more they express the beauty. And the more they express the beauty, the more they see the beauty. And, they're, and, they're, and, and there's the, the picture begins to shine, and they begin to shine as they say what is true about the picture. And they're caught in sort of this life-giving vortex. And it really becomes beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful scene that I'm seeing. In fact, I saw, uh, I, uh, and this kind of was symbolic, uh, one of the ladies, an elderly lady who was shining, she was talking to a person who wasn't there originally, and I, could, I knew it was her daughter. And she's saying uh, to her, her middle-aged daughter, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And there's something that was, had been wrong for years that she was now forgiving. That's part of the beauty of the radiance. And then the, and the lady says, I'm sorry, I, before I didn't see the beauty. I just didn't see it. And now I see it. So please forgive me. And the daughter says, um, it's okay, Mom. Now we're both encompassed and engulfed by this beauty. And then there's rec- that's part of the beauty that's happening here. Now the guy who's in black and white, he doesn't get it. He, I can tell he doesn't see any beauty in this uh, uh, painting at all. In fact, I got a quick little image of what he did see, and what he saw was just basically a black canvas with a few little, you know, like stick drawings, whatever. And he's like, what is beautiful? I don't get this. But he's frustrated because he wants to glow like everybody else. He wants that shininess. And he knows somehow it comes from the picture, but, but he doesn't know how to get it. In fact, at one point, he tries to glow. He, he, he's like a, a, a fly that wants to be a June bug, and he tries to glow. He, he's, like, mm. he's so frustrated, and he's trying to shine like everybody else, but he can't do it. And then a lady next to him says, a tender lady just leans over and says, Honey, you can't shine on your own. No one can shine on their own. You can only shine as a gift, and the gift comes from the painting. And he goes, I, but I just don't see anything there. She goes, well, you just have to look very carefully. Look at it, look at it deeply. And let's ask God to remove the veil. And then just on faith, start agreeing. If you believe it is beautiful, you just confess that you can't see it, but on faith, begin to ascribe worth to it. And speak what is true. And, and then the other people in this crowd, the shiny people, begin to help him along. They say, you know, just, just look at it deeply and say it's beautiful. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's marvelous. And so he sort of tentatively at first goes, on, it's beautiful. It's marvelous. And then the lady goes, no, no, you, you got to believe it and get into it. Pour your whole self into it. He goes, it's beautiful. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And then all of a sudden, he sort of pauses. And I can tell he sees something. He goes, it's beautiful. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. 
It's beautiful. And as he's doing this, he begins to turn from black and white, with, and he starts to get color, and it begins to glow a little bit. And he's going, it's beautiful, it's marvelous, it's wonderful. And the more he says it, the more he sees it, and the more he sees it, the more he says it. And now he's beginning to be caught up into this vortex. And in fact, when he gets it, as he's getting it, it feeds into the, to other people's shininess, if you will, which kind of just symbolizes that we're all in this together and we're affected by one another. And then the scene becomes absolutely beautiful. All of a sudden, sort of explodes with this life. And, 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 and the, the life comes from the painting, and, and they catch it, and then they give life back to the painting. And there's this dance or this vortex that's going on between the people and this painting. And it's really lovely. And then I, the, the scene ends. And right when I'm doing this, by the way, my music hits this crescendo. It was like timed perfectly. And I, it really was moving me as I get a glimpse, just a glimpse of this painting. And, and the, the painting, it, it, I, I felt it more than I could see it. Uh, I guess it's a little bit like abstract modern art. Uh, but it, it was this montage of the most beautiful scenes you can imagine. It was this breathtakingly marvelous, wonderful, sublime, awe-inspiring. And then the scene ends. Now when I saw that, I immediately remembered this scene, uh, this, this memory that I had in that art gallery. And a verse came to mind that I want to share with you. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I just got it. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 through 18. Listen very carefully to what Paul says here. He says, but their minds... He's drawing an analogy from the episode on Mount Sinai when Moses came down because he was in the presence of God and he was shining. Because that's what happens when you're in the presence of God. You catch it and you start shining. And he comes down from the mountain and the people can't stand looking at him because it's too bright. So they put a veil over him. Paul's drawing an analogy now between that and what's going on in the present day. He says, their minds, referring to the minds of unbelievers, their minds were hardened. In fact, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. That's why people can't see Christ in the writings of Moses. Their minds are darkened. There's a veil there. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The veil that's on the mind, it is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom, the main freedom here is the freedom to see what you couldn't see before. A veil has been lifted. You're freed. And now look at, look at this. And all of us, with unveiled faces, the veil's been removed, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror. We don't yet see face to face. First John 3 tells us that when the kingdom comes, uh, we will see face to face. But now we see, but through a mirror darkly, and he's referring to the mind. We, we, the Lord, the Lord uh, comes to us in, in our mind. We see through a, 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 as though through a mirror. And as we see, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Glory to glory. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul's principle, as we talked about uh, last week in the, the seminar we had, Seeing is Believing. Paul's principle is that you become what you see. And as we focus on the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another. Here's what worship is. Worship is simply... Uh, saying and thinking and expressing what is true about God. It's beholding and expressing the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ in many way, ways and different ways, shapes and forms. But it all involves seeing and expressing the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we see and as we behold and as we express, 
in our thoughts and in our mouth and in our life, the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. That beauty, it's contagious. And we start participating in that beauty. And all that is God's by nature is given to us by grace. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. His love, which He has by nature, He gives to us by grace, and we get the fruit of, of, of love. And His joy, which He has by nature, He gives to us by grace. And so we have the fruit of the Spirit that is joy. As we behold His beauty, we, we take on His beauty. That's what worship essentially is. It's just speaking accurately about God. And what we need to know about God is this. He's altogether lovely. He's altogether beautiful. He's altogether radiant. He's altogether kind. God is, the, God is the beauty of every beautiful sunset and sunrise you've ever seen. Uh, he is the author and the perfect expression of all that is good, of all that is beautiful, of all that is lovely. Uh, he is the purity and the innocence of a newborn baby. He is the majesty of the majestic mountains. He is the awesomeness of the awe-inspiring starry sky. He is the good behind every good deed. The, he's, the, he, he's the greatness of every great work of art. He's the sweetness of every sweet musical piece that you've ever listened to that has melted, melted your heart. He is the author of all of it, and he he is it. The Bible puts us all together when it says in 1 John 4, 4 that God is love. Because love is the perfect expression of all of that. And that perfect love, that perfect beauty, that sublimeness was expressed most poignantly and most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. When God, from, from the eternal expanse of his heavenly realm, becomes a human being and dies a hellish death on the cross of Calvary for a race of rebels that crucify him, crucifies him. The beauty of that and the unsurpassable, inconceivable, uncomprehensible love of all of that expresses who God is. God is lovely. God is good. God is great. God is pure. God is holy. God is all that is good and right and just and pure. And those words are so inadequate. And worship, worship is just a matter of saying that. Uh, and the, the goal of life in some ways to become a, uh, a coin sir of the art piece that is God. Isn't he lovely? Isn't he marvelous? Isn't he wonderful? And the promise of the word is that as we see it, we become it. it, it, it this is how we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. In this room... There are many different levels, if you will, uh, different capacities that people have uh, to see and therefore to reflect the glory of God. We're, in fact, we're all at different levels to be able to see this beauty and to be able to reflect this beauty. The more black and white you are, the harder it is for you to get it. The more black and white you are, you just don't see. It's kind of puzzling. Why are these people so jazzed about this? Why do they get emotional about this? Uh, you know, why do they get so crazy, so sold out for Jesus? You know, the more black and white you are, the more mediocre religion is good enough for you, and you just kind of do a, an acquaintance relationship, and you really don't see what grabs people. And therefore, you don't reflect it much in your life. We're all at different levels. And by the way, you can't tell what level a person's at by looking at them or even by looking at how they worship whatever because we're all wired very different. So there's no purpose whatsoever in trying to look and discern uh, who's more radiant than who or to try to compare yourself with one another. That's a religious, stupid little point merit game and we don't do religion around here. So don't worry about that. Let it go. But like, we, are, we, all, we all are at different levels. And uh, that's okay. That's okay. We are where we are. Where we are. Here's what we need to hear. 
the first step wherever you are, however shiny or however black and white you are, is to do what kind of I did in my art room experience, that gallery experience, and what I saw happen in this vision that I have. You start by saying it. If you believe that God, in fact, you may don't, maybe don't see it, and it varies from day to day, in fact. Uh, some days you've got more of a veil over your mind than other days. But, but, but what God wants is for us, Paul says, you turn to Christ. That's, that's a decision you make. You turn. And on faith, you begin to say and begin to think and begin to live that God is of unsurpassable worth. That's what worship is, ascribing worth to God. That God is altogether lovely. God is altogether pure. God is great. And you pour yourself into it. You look harder than you've ever looked before. You pour your mind and your heart into it. And uh, that's the beginning of worship. And as you do that, as, as God opens up your mind, uh, you begin to see the reality of that which you believe, and it begins to impact you and change you and transform you. This is how real kingdom transformation takes place. Paul says, you know, to, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the passage we just looked at right now, he, he doesn't say be transformed by trying hard or that you go from one degree of glory to another by, by you know, doing your own effort. You can no more shine on your own than a, than a fly can become a June bug. And there's a lot of people out there trying to do that. In fact, that's what religion does. It's like, try to shine. Come on, crank it out. Be more loving. Be more joyful. Be more happy. But it doesn't work like that. There's one way to be transformed. And there's effort in in, in life for sure. I'm not discounting that. But the core, the foundation of it all is when we make time individually and make time corporately where we just behold the beauty. For what you see determines what you become. You behold the beauty. You sing the beauty. You think the, bo- the, 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 the beauty. And, and uh, the beauty. And as you do that, as you do that, you become, it, it, the, the beauty of God is, uh, shake your booty. No. Behold the beauty. And as you do that, it becomes contagious and you're transformed. There are people in this congregation, in fact, all of us to some degree, you want to be more loving and you just wonder, why. I, you know, I, I don't love enough. And you can try to shine on your own if you want, but that's not what's going to do it. What you need is to see the loveliness of God and his delight over you. And as that becomes real, as your mind is opened up, then it impacts you and you become more loving. And as you see his joy, there are people here who say, I I don't have the joy of the Lord. And you can't crank that out. In religious circles, there'll be people who will say, don't you know the Bible commands you to rejoice always and again? I say rejoice. And so you're like, okay, mm, joy, joy, joy. It doesn't work like that. But as you simply rest in beholding his joy and his joy over you, you you become it. You take on that joy. And so it is with his peace. And so it is with his power and his gentleness. There's someone in this congregation, I'm sure of it. You're in the grip of an emotion you can't get out of. You're trapped. Maybe it's cynicism, negativity. Oh, there's so much in this world to be negative about, isn't there? Uh, you, you know, there's so much, it's so easy to get angry. There's so much to get angry at. You know, you look around, it's like, man, people are stupid. Democrats are stupid. Republicans are stupid. Christians are stupid. You know, government's stupid. Everything's stupid and dumb. And, and you get mad at everything. And, 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 and then you get mad at your boss. And, and, and then you get mad at your body because it's not working right anymore. And you, there's so much to be mad at. And what can happen is as you get older, you're turning into a curmudgeon. And your wife notices it, or your husband notices it, and your kids notice it, and you wish you could change, but you wake up in the morning and you're like this, and you're becoming more and more negative. And you're not going to will yourself out of this one, man. You're trapped. You can't pull yourself up out of quicksand. 
But I encourage you to carve out a time where you just put aside all of the things you're angry about and behold the Lord, the beauty of the Lord, the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. And as you behold that glory and express that glory, express that beauty, you just say what is true and sing what is true. As you do that, you're going to find your, your, your inner self begins to change. You begin to take on the beauty of the one that you're adoring and the one that you're worshiping. Some people here need to be pulled out of a sea of despair or of hopelessness or of anxiety or of worry or whatever it is. And the core of kingdom transformation is worship. This is why we put such a priority on this. Together and individually to ascribe worth to him. Let me say one more thing. Note carefully in the passage that we looked at in 2 Corinthians. Note carefully there that Paul uh, talks about the mind. The veil is over the mind and the freedom is a freedom of the mind. Turning to Christ, it starts with a decision, a sheer act of will where you say, because I believe God is worth it, I am right here and right now going to pour all of my mind and all of my heart and, yes, all of my body into worshiping him. That's a decision. And, and that's the core of it. And what it means mentally is this. You choose to focus. That's what makes the difference between a song and, and worship. You choose to focus. And in your mind, we ask the Holy Spirit to unveil our minds so that we can see the reality in full color of what we're singing about and who we're singing to. And as you enter into that world, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. The choice is to fully invest, which means you've got to, for this time, Set aside the worries and set aside the concerns and set aside the fight you had this morning and set aside the aches and pains of your life and set aside your preoccupation with bird flu and set aside your, the, the, yeah, you know, we're, we've all, we're all hearing the same stuff on this. But right now we say, God, you are worth more than a worry about bird flu. And God, you're greater than my aches and pains. You're greater than my anxiety. And we show that God has the preeminent importance in our life by making him more important than everything else. And that's reflected in our choice. That's what worship is. And as we do that, we're beholding the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. We may not have first see it, but you just you, you step forth in faith and you choose to invest in it. But as you see it, you'll go from being black and white to more color. Now, we don't worship God in order to shine because that's a way of worshiping your shininess. No, we worship God because he's God. But the byproduct is you shine. And so you get your mind off yourself, get your mind off the person next to you, even if they haven't showered for three weeks, doesn't matter. You get your mind, you know, and you, focus, you make the decision to focus on Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do here. In fact, this is what we want to do whenever we come together, to exalt him, to give him preeminence. Paul prayed this prayer twice in the book of Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be opened, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of Jesus Christ that passes all knowledge. I pray that you get what, what you can't normally get. And that's when our mind and our heart is open, but that happens when we make the decision to enter into worship. Will you make that decision right here and right now? Will you make that decision right here and right now? I'm asking you. Will you make that decision right here and right now? Okay, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to call the, the worship team forward. I'm going to call the ushers forward. Here's what I want us to do. We're going to go into another time of ministry here in a little bit, but the first act of worship will be taking up an offering. An offering is worship. Why? Because we're ascribing worth to God. In fact, our offering is the most concrete, practical, tangible expression of worship. It's in some ways where the rubber hits the road. We're saying that by the way we steward his finances, we're expressing the worth that he and his ministry has in our life. An offering, you're giving to God. You're not really giving to the church, you're giving to God. And so I encourage you to uh, offer up what you have, however much, however little, to the Lord. 
And uh, then we're going to have another time of uh, having people come forward and to do some ministry as we just focus on Jesus Christ. Pray with me here, Father. We acknowledge that all we have belongs to you. Help us, Lord God, <laughs> to ascribe worth to you, whatever we feel, whatever our words, whatever our concerns. Help us to ascribe worth to you by how we steward your finances, Lord. And then, Lord God, we are just trusting that you will honor your word, that you inhabit the praises of your people. And, Lord, we're just asking that your presence be here. Lord, bless all those who can give and bless those who can't give, Lord God. But create in all of us a kingdom heart that ascribes worth to you by however much or however little we have. Be glorified in this time of worship in Jesus' name. Give as an act of worship and now sing as an act of worship and let your mind be focused concretely on the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Draw us close, Lord, right here and right now.